I remember, uh, and these guys that are with me have heard me tell this many times, but a number of years ago, I was uh, actually just riding, traveling by myself, and was coming back from actually visiting some relatives. Now, I'm on my bike, and I come up on a biker rally out in the field. And so I got off the highway and went over there to check it out. It turned out to be a group of outlaws. And uh, they were having a bike show and rally and drug parties and who knows what else. And uh, so I pulled up there, and I was riding a, um, a custom bike that had been built for me. And... Um, so uh, they asked me if I wanted to, if I was there to enter my bike into the show. And I thought, well, I'm here. I'm not in a big hurry. I don't have to be anywhere. So I might as well. They didn't know who I was. Didn't ask. And so um, I just joined with them and went and looked at bikes. And they put mine in the category that it fit in. And, and they said, no, we're going we're gonna to judge bikes later this afternoon. Give out trophies. And um, so hopefully you can stick around for it. I said, yeah. So... You know, I'm looking around and these folks are drinking and, you know, and all that stuff. And, and so I'm just walking around looking at the cool bikes, you know, and people are gathered around mine looking at it. Well, later that, a uh, few hours later, they said um, uh, they had a big flatbed truck they were using as a stage. And they said, everybody gather up in front of the truck and trailer and uh, we're going to give away trophies. Well, I not only won first place in my class, but I won best of show. And uh, so they said, um, we, we want to present your trophy, so we'll call you up. And you just come up on the flatbed truck there, trailer, and we'll give you your trophy. So I walked up there when they were ready to present the trophy, handed it to me. And the guy that's emceeing it, he said, um, what's your name? I said, Jerry Sabella. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a preacher. He said, a preacher? What are you doing here? <laughs> I said, well, I'm a preacher who enjoys riding motorcycles. I said, I was a biker before I became a preacher. And uh, he said, uh, you mean the preacher won best to show? The preacher won first place in his class? He says, anybody want to hear the preacher preach? <laughs> And you ought to have seen them. They're all sitting out saying, yeah, let him preach, you know. <laughs> so I preached, gave an invitation. About 25 of them came to the Lord, praise God. Amen. So they said, uh, well, this is on a Saturday now, and I'm, I'm planning on heading back home. Probably I was actually going to go down the highway and check in a hotel and then go the rest of the way the next morning. And uh, he said, no, tomorrow Sunday, don't preachers preach on Sunday? I said, yeah, we preach on Sunday. He said, well, anybody want the preacher to stay and preach again in the morning? They said, yeah, let him stay, you know. <laughs> so they set up a tent for me, and I slept in the tent and got up the next morning, preached again another 15 or so got saved. And um, had a great time, praise God. Now, not one of those guys would have come to a church to hear me speak. Not one of them would have come to a convention to hear me speak. But a cool Harley got him to heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. So it's, it's just one of the ways that God's given our ministry to reach out to that world. Uh, as I said last night, uh, motorcycles, hot rods, race cars, that was my life before I came to Christ. 
So um, I know how those guys think. I know what those cars and motorcycles mean to them. Um, before I gave my life to the Lord, that was my God. You know, Carolyn, my wife, she lived for God, uh, and, and I live for that. And uh, she's praying, believing God for me to get saved, and, and uh, she knew I had the call of God on my life. And, and uh, I tried to avoid going places where I got under conviction, you know, like church, <laughs> or hanging around her too long, you know. And uh, because if I got under conviction, I knew I had the call of God on my life. And if I got under conviction, I didn't like the feeling because I knew if I ever yielded to it, I'd have to preach. And that's what I was fighting. I didn't want to do that. But finally, 1969, I couldn't run anymore and, and surrender my life to the Lord. And uh, at that time, I had a, a 1969 Triumph Bonneville. I had... Two 1936 Ford Coupes, one three, one to one five, one to one thirty nine Chevrolet pickup. Uh, one of the 36 Fords I made a street rod out of. The other was all original, classic. And those, those, and, and I bought and sold that stuff all the time. I mean, you, Carolyn couldn't keep up with my cars. You know, I told her, I told her one day. I said, she said, how many more cars are you going to buy? I said, you ought to known our first date you were in trouble. She said, why? I said, well, don't you remember? I asked you to go on a picnic, but really I was taking you to Longview, Texas to look at this car I saw hanging out a barn that I wanted to buy. And, and we had a picnic, you know, in addition to that, you know. But um, uh, I came to the Lord and God didn't tell me to do this. He didn't make me do it. But I had people trying to buy that stuff all the time. And I called him. I said, you still want this 36 Ford? Yeah. You still want this 39 Chevrolet pickup? Yeah. I called every one of them that had tried to buy them. And I sold them into their lives. They couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I gave it up. And I said, that represents my past. And from this day forward, God, your first place. Now, he didn't make me do that. He didn't even tell me I had to do that. I wanted him to know that from this day forward, you're number one. And nothing will ever come between me and you. And then years later, he started giving it back to me. And today, I have better hot rods, better classic cars, better motorcycles than I ever dreamed of. And now I get to use them to win people to Christ. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. So, you know, just about time you think that, you know, God wouldn't use that and God wouldn't use this. Don't be surprised what God will do. Amen. He's interested in humanity, whatever will win them. Hallelujah. So that's what we're doing with this. Uh, Obviously, I still preach in churches, you know, with a suit. There's just a stronger anointing in black leather. (laughs) And uh, I still preach for Brother Copeland and his conventions. And I still, you know, do my overseas missions and plant Bible schools all over the world and train pastors all over the world. So we still do all of that. But this is just one outreach of our ministry that enables us to win souls. And in uh, many cases, we win more people to Christ through this avenue than any other way. Hallelujah. So I'm very grateful to God that he's allowed me to do this. Not only that, but you get to ride with the nicest people in the world. I mean, that's one of the great things about Riding, there's a camaraderie, you know, 
And uh, you just fall in love with these folks. And not only that, but I get, to, I get to hang out with them. I don't get to do that in conventions. Man, go to those conventions and I got a bodyguard, a driver, a, as if I need a bodyguard. I can handle myself. I'm bad. I'm bad. I mean, man, they drive me in there and they... Walk me into the dressing room and they walk me out to the podium and they stand there and wait for me to get done and then they walk me out and I don't get to see anybody. Don't get to talk to many people. But man, on these trips like this, we get to hang out. Hallelujah. Amen. So um, if you have a passion for God, a passion for souls, and a passion for motorcycles, and you'd like to hook up with Chariot's Light, we'd love to have you. As a member, you can talk to someone out there at the tables, and they'll tell you how to join up, praise God. We have chapters here in California, and uh, we'll be doing this again. We, we've got other tours set up in other parts of the country for the rest of the year, but we always love riding across California, praise God. Amen. You got your Bibles with you? Let's open them again to Hebrews chapter 10, and let me um, refresh you. I'll remind you of some things we said last night, and particularly for the benefit of those who were not here last night, uh, I want to say a few things, not try to say everything we said last night, because we don't have time to repeat all of it, but just so we'll all be on the same level, praise God. Last night I shared with you the prophetic word that the Lord gave me for 2012, and that word was this. That it will be a year of fulfillment. And then he said it will be a year in which highest expectations will be fulfilled. And then he said, tell them it's going to be a year in which they will frequently say, the Lord has done great things. Hallelujah. Why don't you go ahead and practice now. Look at somebody and tell them, the Lord has done great things. Amen. I thought of Psalm 126 when he said that. It says... Uh, you know, the Lord turned again our captivity. And the people said, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things. Hallelujah. And I can, I can testify right now that uh, here just the first uh, five months, I mean, we're just barely into the fifth month of this year, but I'm telling you, God has done some things in my personal life, in our ministry, In the first quarter of this year, there's just been astounding praise God. Just taking us to another level. Hallelujah. And I can already say, uh, not just in faith, but it's happened. God has already done some great things. And I believe He's going to continue to do so in the days ahead. So I want you to say this with me. 2012 will be my year of fulfillment. A year in which... My highest expectations shall be fulfilled. And I will hear coming out of my mouth frequently, the Lord has done great things. And go ahead and give him another shout of praise. Amen. Now, we also saw last night in the book of Hebrews, particularly from the message translation. But let's go ahead and read the King James. Hebrews 10 35, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. 
Now, the message translation says it this way. Don't throw it all away now. It's still a sure thing. You need to stick it out, staying with God's plan, so you'll be there for the promised completion. Everybody say, the promised completion. completion. Now, a promised completion would literally mean that what you have been standing for, what you have been believing for, has finally come to pass. The promised completion. That would be the same thing as fulfillment. We also saw in these verses, uh, here in the book of Hebrews, how vital it is to stick it out. Not give up. Not quit. Look at somebody and say, I am not a quitter. It talked about remaining patient. Remaining patient doesn't mean just put up with it and hope to God when we get to heaven, it'll be better. Remaining patient means never changing regardless of the circumstances. You say what the word says, whether the circumstances are good or whether they're bad. Amen. Amen. You don't say one moment, my God supplies all my needs. And then when it looks like nothing's happening, you go to talking about the needs again. And dear God, is it ever going to happen? Are we ever going to need get our needs met? James calls that double mindedness. And he said a double minded man is unstable and he cannot expect to receive anything from God. So if you get over into that double mindedness, then you've already shot yourself in the foot, so to speak. You can't receive anything from God. It's not that he doesn't want to bless you, but he's not going to violate his own word to do so. Amen. He sets the rules. Amen. I'm not reading from first Jerry. I'm reading from Hebrews. So he set the rules and the rules are remain patient, remain steadfast, never giving up, never quitting, never throwing in the towel, never caving in. Uh, many of you have heard me say this in previous meetings, perhaps, or heard it on some of our uh, CDs or tapes or whatever. Uh, I have been a boxing enthusiast all my life. I love boxing, and uh, and I don't want prayer for deliverance. Please don't even <laughs> don't even pray for me. I know it's brutal, and I know can, people can get hurt, but I don't want prayer. I like boxing. And I don't intend to get delivered because there's a good fight coming on Saturday and I am not going to miss it. Praise God. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But uh, I used to go to all the major championship fights uh, since the, I guess my first one was in the 70s. And I went to Caesars Palace to watch Sugar Ray Leonard and Thomas Hearns for an undisputed welterweight championship of the world. And I had a ringside seat. I sat right behind Muhammad Ali. And, uh, uh, and every time I had an opportunity, I would go to, to, to those major fights like that. And, and there's, it's just something about being there. If you like the sport, it, there's just electricity in the air, you know, and, 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 I, and I like it. And, and uh, uh, I, I've met a number of them over the years. Some of them I've been able to lead to the Lord. Some of them I've mentored after they finished their career. And some of them I've gone to training camp with them and, and uh, uh, taught them the Word of God, you know. Uh, right after Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear off. <laughs> Evander was sitting in my airplane. We went on a trip where he and I were speaking. And I deliberately put him on the left side so I could look at that ear. <laughs> I'm telling you, Mike was hungry that night. He, 
He took a big bite out of him, you know. And, uh, but I remember one, one fight, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard fought Roberta Duran in Canada and lost to him. And then they had a rematch in the Superdome in New Orleans. Well, I didn't get to go to the one in uh, Canada because I was preaching with Brother Copeland. And I didn't think Brother Copeland would like it if I sent a video over for my service, you know. And, and uh, so I didn't get to go to that one. But the rematch in New Orleans, I had a ringside seat. And so, you know, Roberta Duran, I mean, this guy was one of the greatest lightweight champions in the history of boxing. And then he went up to the welterweight class to fight Leonard. And... Uh, Man, this, the, the hype on this fight is just amazing. Man, they've been planning this for a long time, and they put it in the Superdome. And man, uh, they invited Ray Charles to sing America the Beautiful. He brought the house down. Man, if we, did, if we hadn't even seen a fight that night, it was worth listening to Ray Charles. <laughs> and, uh, and then the fighters came out, you know, and of course, many of you know of this, and, and uh, uh, Roberta Duran quit. He, he, he got so frustrated. I mean, Sugar Ray fought his fight instead of fighting Roberta Duran's fight like he did the first time. And he had Duran so frustrated that finally at the end of a round, he walked away and said, no mas. No mas. He quit. Professional boxers don't quit. I mean, the place was stunned. His, his trainer, Ray Arcel, who's in the Boxing Hall of Fame for training so many champions. Ray Arcel could not believe that his fighter, this guy who'd been known as Little Hands of Stone. I mean, you know, I mean, this guy, he don't quit. But he got so frustrated. He said he had stomach cramps. He didn't have stomach cramps. He had head cramps. <laughs> Sugar Ray frustrated him so that he just quit. And nobody could believe it. Well, I want you to know the best fights broke out then. I mean, in the audience, people start. I mean, where I sitting? I mean, people are hitting each other. I mean, there's a lot of money bet on this fight. And people are mad. And the police come in there with their billy clubs beating on people. I had to get up to keep from getting in a fight. And I walked over here, and I'm watching all this. And I looked up, and I'm standing right next to Howard Cosell. And I thought, this is the worst place in the building to be. They all hate him, and I got away from him. <laughs> you know? But the guy quit. I couldn't believe it. Nobody quit. The boxing world couldn't believe it that he quit. Now, to this day, I mean, anybody that knows boxing and has followed it, you know, anybody that's ever heard of Roberta Durant, I dare say that you'd find two out of ten that could tell you his record, tell you all the divisions that he won championships in, but they can tell you this, oh, the no moss fight. The no moss fight. Roberta Durant, oh yeah, no moss, no moss. Now, it's sad that this great champion will go down in history with most people only remembering the one he quit in. Is that what you want for your legacy? I asked Evander Holyfield one time. I said, Evander, have you ever? I said, I I went to watch Evander train uh, to compete, actually, to go to the Olympics. I went to the Olympics in Los Angeles in 1984 to watch him box. And, and I got to go to several of his championship bouts. Uh, 
when he was a, a cruiserweight and then on up into heavyweight. And Evander is one of the most focused fighters I've ever been around. I mean, when he comes out of that dressing room and goes into that ring, he is so focused on doing one thing, win. And I said, Evander, have you ever in one of your fights felt like quitting? He said, well, there was one time he said, I fought a man that was a whole lot bigger than me. And I knew who he was talking about. And he said, man, that, that man could hit and he said, I'm hurting. And when, I, when that bell rang and I went back to my corner, I thought, I don't know if I can get off my stool to come back for another round. But he said, I saw my son over the ring apron looking at me. And I made up my mind for his sake. I do not want my son spending the rest of his life hearing people say, oh, yeah, Evander Holyfield, your daddy, the one that quit. He said, there was no way I was going to quit with my son there looking at me. And he said, somehow I reached way down on the inside and was able to get back out there and fight and actually won a decision uh, and, and, you know, won the, uh, retained his title. Well, we all feel like quitting sometimes, but I don't want that on my record. I said, I don't want that on my record. I'm not a quitter. I was a quitter, but I got saved. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I got into the word of God. And that all turned me from a, uh, a consistent quitter to a consistent winner. Hallelujah. And I am not going to quit, particularly over somebody that's already been defeated. Amen. You know, if, if, if somebody would offer me a contract for $30 million to fight the heavyweight champion of the world, who is, you know, the Russian guys now. But somebody beats him up real good first, drags him into the ring. He's laying in the corner and they promise me he can't get up. I'm signing that contract. Amen. I'm going to fight that dude. Get my 30 million and get out of there. But I want to make sure the man cannot get up first. Okay. I want to know he's already been defeated. Well, thank God our adversary has already been defeated. Amen. Satan is defeated. I love what I read E.W. Kenyon in one of his books 43 years ago when I first picked up that book. And it said from the book of Hebrews that our redemption is an eternal redemption. And here's what E.W. Kenyon said. If our redemption is an eternal redemption, then that means Satan, our adversary, is eternally defeated. Hallelujah. Amen. So why would we want to quit over somebody who's already been defeated? Can you say amen? amen? So notice here, the book of Hebrews is telling us, stick it out. Determine that quit is no longer an option in your life. Because if you will stick it out, then you'll be there for the promised completion or fulfillment. Well, I believe, I know I've heard from God and I know the voice of God and I've heard him say that 2012 is going to be a year of fulfillment. So I'm declaring everywhere I preach all over the world that if people won't give up, this could be the year that the things that have looked impossible, the things that looked as though they would never come to pass, if you won't give up, this could be your year of fulfillment. Hallelujah. 
Give somebody a high five and say, I receive it. Amen. So a promised completion, as the message translation says, would literally mean that what you had been standing and believing for finally came to pass. Stick it out. Remain patient. Never give up. We saw that if we choose to do this, stick it out, remain patient, never give up, don't cast away our confidence, don't cast away our faith, then the Bible promises us our faith will be rewarded. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? I believe because of what the Holy Spirit said to me, that you and I are going to see a lot of manifestations of our prayers being answered and our faith being rewarded in 2012. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I think you ought to lift both hands and just thank the Lord in advance. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord in advance. Thank you, Father, for our year of fulfillment. Now, this is not to say that I've never experienced fulfillment or promised completions. I've, I've watched God keep His Word in my life for 43 years. I mean, I'm a, I'm a walking testimony, a living testimony of the faithfulness of God. I've seen God fulfill His Word from the day I accepted Him as my Savior and my Lord. But I believe when God says things like this, then it, it, it implies that it's going to be an intensified effort. Now, I also, when I think about this, meditate on it, When you think about all the body of Christ has been through over the last few years, the number of people in the body of Christ that have been hurting and suffering, you know, some due to the economy and all of that kind of thing. God is never going to allow Satan to get the upper hand. The Bible says when sin abounds, grace does much more. When Satan has intensified his efforts as he has over the last few years, then God's not going to just sit back and let that happen. Finally, he will say, enough is enough. Let my people go. Hallelujah. And then he will cause an outpouring of intensified love, intensified grace, and intensified mercy, and intensified fulfillment. And things start happening all around us that look like they would never happen before. That's where we're headed. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord another shout of praise. Amen. Now, at the close of the service last night, and as I said, I can't go over everything I talked about last night. I'm sure they recorded it. If you weren't here, get a copy of it so you can catch up with the rest of us. Now, at the close of the service, I shared with you that the Holy Spirit also said that it would be a year in which highest expectations will be fulfilled. Now, what... what? do we mean by highest expectations? I believe that this would refer to the things that you most desire to happen in your life. The things you're most intense and most passionate about. Highest expectations. The things that you desire the most to happen in your life. The things that you're most intense about. And most passionate about. Jesus said this in the 11th chapter of Mark. We all know it. You know the verse Brother Hagin wrote. (laughs) Verse 24. (laughs) No, he didn't write it. But thank God he preached it for 60 years. Hallelujah. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 11, 24. 
What things soever ye desire. Notice it didn't say whatever you need. It didn't mention a thing about needs. It said desires. I was told growing up, I didn't pay any attention to it, but I was told growing up, the few times I got around religious people. Now, I did hear it after I got saved and started going to church. People would tell me things like, well, the Lord may or may not meet your needs, but don't even talk to him about what you want or desire. He's not interested. He may or may not meet your needs, but don't talk to him about what you desire or what you want. He's not interested. Well, I got in the Bible and found out they were lying. <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. I found out that God is not only interested in my needs, but he cares about what I desire and what I want. And it doesn't always have to be super spiritual things. Now hear me out. Don't turn me off yet. Yeah, there are things in my life, obviously all the time, that pertain to the ministry, to the furtherance of the kingdom of God. That, that's, that's, that's where my life is based. Anybody that knows me well knows that I don't just preach one thing from the pulpit and then I go live another way. This, this is my life 24-7. You know? And, uh, I mean, I am consumed with preaching the gospel. With, with blessing humanity. Do it in every way that I can possibly think of. And, and do it in every way that the Spirit of God leads me to do. But I also have desires and wants that have nothing to do with the furtherance of the kingdom of God. They're just things I enjoy. Now, I did make a decision a long time ago, as I said earlier, that I would not allow those things to come between me and God. In fact, a number of years ago, I had two brand new Harley Davidsons, one ultra classic and one a Heritage Softail classic. Both of them I was blessed with. And, and it's one of the things I enjoy doing when I come off the road and I'm in meetings, particularly way back there before we started Chariots of Light. And, and I would come off. It's one of the ways that Brother Copeland and I would fellowship when we weren't preaching. He'd call and say, let's go ride and go to lunch. Let's ride our bikes. And we were doing this way back when I did. We didn't know another Christian on this planet who rode motorcycles. And certainly didn't know another preacher who rode them. <laughs> and sometimes we get off our bikes and walk in a little cafe there in Texas. And people do a double take. Kenneth Copeland, Jerry Savelle. Are y'all backslidden? <laughs> No. If I'd have gone out and played golf, would you have said, have you backslidden? Golf is not my interest. Motorcycles and old cars are. And, and uh, I remember, you know, I had these two brand new motorcycles that I'd been blessed with. And I'd come off the road after being, you know, traveling around the world. And uh, I'd take a day and just go ride. Sometimes I'd just get up early in the morning, ride all the way to San Antonio, the back roads, by myself, and stop and have lunch and talk with people and just, you know, turn around, come back, be back by dark, you know, or, or after dark, something like that. 
just enjoy it, relaxing to me. And, and I, got on, I got on this big altar one day, and I was going to just go for a ride and have lunch. And I hadn't been gone 15 minutes. And I suddenly had this sensation that I'm riding somebody else's motorcycle, that this doesn't belong to me anymore. So I took it back to my garage, parked it, and got on the Softail Classic and started out to do that same ride. I got about 15 minutes down the road and the same sensation. And I'm riding somebody else's bike. So I went back home, put it in the garage, laid my hands on both of them. I said, no, Lord, if you want me to bless somebody with these bikes, I just want you to know they don't mean a thing to me other than the fact you gave them to me. You bless me with them. But other than that, I'll, I'll sow them both before dark if that's what you want me to do. And he spoke to me and told me two uh, people that he wanted me to sew those bikes into. So I called them. Man, they were there before dark and got their bikes. You know? I didn't cry when they rode off. I wasn't sad when they rode off. I said, Lord, I just wanted to show you again that you're still number one. That none of these things that you've blessed me with will ever come between me and you. Now, I learned a long time ago the way you tell if things have you or you have things, if you can't sow them. If you can't sow something, then you don't have it. It has you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Let me try this side of the auditorium. And that bunch over there just didn't give me much response. If, if, if you can't sow something that you own, then you don't actually own it. It owns you. I'm going to give you another chance in a minute. Huh? And you know what happened? I wound up with five motorcycles. My wife said, Jerry Savelle, when she calls me Jerry Savelle and not Jerry, honey, sweetie, you know, Jerry Savelle, she said, don't you ever sew another motorcycle. They come back to you in fleets. Last year, how many, how many bikes was I given last year? Was it six or seven? Did I keep one of them? I sewed every one of them. And to other people that were believing God for motorcycles. So don't, don't come at me with this. He's materialistic. No, I'm not. If you're going to call me that, you come check out my giving first. I've walked in my shop many times and cleared it out. Cars, motorcycles, everything. Just give it. Sow it to show God again. You're still number one. Amen. And it seems like he comes back and says, and you're number one with me too. You better build another garage. Come on, fill it up. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. So notice here, Jesus said, what things soever you desire. How many of you have some things you desire? There's nothing wrong with desiring your dream home. God's interested in dream homes. He told the children of Israel that if you will hearken diligently unto me, if you'll obey my word, keep it in front of you, teach it to your children, you will build goodly homes and I'll fill them with all good things. Hallelujah. He's not against you having a dream home. Well, I didn't want to believe for a dream home. It sounded so worldly. The world copies God. They pervert it. 
Desire is from God. Lust is from Satan. I don't lust anything. But it's all right to desire certain things. And, and the desires are the expectations that you have. There's nothing wrong with them being non-super spiritual. Amen. God doesn't mind you having as an expectation a better job, an increase in salary, your dream home. He's not even against you having a motorcycle. Yeah, amen. <laughs> All he asks is, when it comes, give me the credit for it. That's right. Remember what he said in Deuteronomy? It is I who give thee the power to get well. I am the one who gives you the power to get anything. And then he says, and all I'm asking you to do is remember the Lord thy God. Somebody said, man, that's a beautiful motorcycle. The Lord gave me that. That's how I've won a lot of people to the Lord, praise God. You know, I didn't preach one word to them. They just, they just saw what God was doing in my life and, and make a comment about it. And then the door is open to introduce them to the God that I serve. This good God that I serve. Amen. Hallelujah. So when we talk about expectations, let me say it again. To me, I believe expectations would refer to the things that you most desire to happen in your life. Now, we're not talking about ungodly desires. Unholy desires. Like a, a, a young man and woman came to me one time up in Seattle in a meeting I was preaching. And after the service, they came and said, Brother Jerry, um, would you set yourself in agreement with us? Well, I'm not real quick to just say yes until I find out what we're agreeing on. You know? And I said, well, what do you need my agreement for? What are you, what are you agreeing on? Well, we have a desire to be married. We have a desire to be married. And I thought, well, what do you need my agreement for that for? So I said, well, why do you need my agreement if you desire to get married? And then he said, well, she's already married. But she don't love her husband. She loves me. And we're believing he's going to give her a divorce. And we're believing we're going to be married. And then listen to this deception. And we heard Brother Copeland say that faith without works is dead. So she's moved in with me. That's our corresponding actions. I said, that is not faith. That's flesh. And no, I'm not going to agree with you. You're in sin. You're in error. Huh? And see, we're not talking about just any ungodly, unholy, non-scriptural, non-word-based desire. You've got to clarify everything these days. People are run out here. Oh, Brother Jerry said we have whatever we desire. Mm. No, I'm talking about things that line up with the Word of God and line up with the will of God for your life. Amen. Amen. And so notice Jesus said, what things soever you desire... What things shall ever you desire? The things that, that, that you desire to happen in your life. The things that you're most intense and passionate about. I believe that's what he's referring to. The dictionary states that things desired are the things you long for the most. The things you long for. Now, from a, you know, let's say a spiritual side. I know pastors here. Pastor Mark and Brenda, they longed for, they were passionate about, 
having a, a better facility to house their church and be able to minister to their congregation in a, in a, in a better way. Amen. And look what happened. Look at the result of that strong desire. Amen. But I'm sure there are other things they desire that have nothing to do with church stuff. It's just things that they've longed for in their lives. And God's not against that. Amen. Psalm 37, 4 says this. Delight thyself also in the Lord. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, I love the Amplified Bible here. See, what I'm telling you tonight, religion never told us. Religion makes it hard to receive from God. The Bible makes it easy. That's right. I'm going to say it again. Religion makes it hard to receive from God. The Bible makes it easy. Amen. Amen. The Amplified Bible here where it says in the King James, Delight thyself also in the Lord. He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. The Amplified says the secret petitions of your heart. There there are things that I've desired from from a little boy that I never told a soul about. They were just, you know, I mean, even before I knew God, just things I desired. You know, uh, growing up in the 50s like I did, I was born in 1946, and when we got our first television set, my my children think I'm making this up. My grandchildren can't even identify with this. But when I was, when I was a kid, there was one family on our street had a television set. And on Saturday night, they'd put it in their living room window and all the neighborhood would bring lawn chairs. And we got to sit out in their front yard and watch that black and white field code television set. Now our, now our kids carry them around in their pocket, you know, Oh, daddy, you making that? I'm not making it up. One family on our street. And boy, oh man, I thought that was the coolest thing at television set. Well, dad finally got us one. You know, wasn't immediately, but we finally got. I mean, most of the time when I was a kid, when all the family was together, we sat around a radio, listening to radio programs. How many of you remember that? Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and then dad finally got that black and white feel. I mean, yeah. Black and white field coat television set. The box was this big. The screen was this big. And when you turned it on, it didn't just come on to me. You sat there and waited for that thing, man. It's almost like you had to prime the pump to get it to get it to come on. You know. I'm revealing how country I am tonight. You know. And man, we'd sit there waiting for that thing to come on. And I'll never forget the first baseball game, professional baseball game. I loved baseball. I started out in little league, played all the way up to a farm league team. And, and man, the first professional baseball game I saw was the New York Yankees and Mickey Mantle. Roger Maris. Well, Roger came later, but Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford, Yogi Berra. Well, they were the first ones I ever saw. So I fell in love with the New York Yankees. You know, and man, every Saturday uh, when dad got off work and if, the, if they were playing on television, man, dad and I sat there glued to that thing watching it. I'm sitting there with my, my Mickey Mantle glove, my Mickey Mantle bat, had my uniform on. It had to be number seven. 
You know, I'm sitting there. And, and when Mickey would come up to the plate, oh, I don't care. Right-handed, left-handed, make no difference. Get ready, going to knock it out of the park. You know, and man, I'd jump up every time he did. And then the camera would, would pan through the audience and I'd see a little boy, my age, sitting in Yankee Stadium. I'm thinking, that's the luckiest kid on the planet. He gets to be there and watch Mickey live knock it out of the park. And I thought, oh man, if I could ever go to New York to Yankee Stadium and watch Mickey Mantle. I lived in Louisiana. New York might as well have been Africa. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't even know anybody in New York. Uh, New York, are you kidding me? We don't go to New York. When we go on vacation, it's not over 100 miles from the house. You know? So that, was, that wasn't even a realistic desire in the natural. But oh, it was there. That, that secret petition. Lord, one day let me go watch the Yankees play. Especially Mickey Mantle. You know? Well, I mean, man, I grew up, never got to go. Became an adult and never got to go. And went into the ministry and never got to go. But one day, I'm preaching in Canada. And I've been up there for several days. And, and some friends of mine who lived in New Jersey asked me to come down and spend a couple of days with them in their home. And then uh, speak in their church. Uh, on Sunday while I was there. So I flew to New York, JFK, and they picked me up, took me across to New Jersey, and uh, we get to their home that night. They said, uh, Brother Jerry, you've got a couple of days off here, and we just want to host you. Anything you want to do. You know, we, we've been here for many, many years. We know the city well. Anything you want to do, we'll, we'll do our best to make it happen. Anything you'd like to do tonight? I said, well, my wife and I have been up here before, and we love eating at Tavern on the Green in Central Park. I said, well, you know, that you have to have reservations way in advance. I said, well, I have favor. Would you call them and see? <laughs> they called, come back in there and said, you do have favor. They, let, they said we can come tonight, you know, <laughs> that they'd let us in tonight. And so we went over there and had a wonderful meal together. They said, uh, is there anything you'd like to do tomorrow? I said, well, you know... From the time I was a little boy, I always wanted to go to a, a Yankee baseball game. I said, you think we could do that tomorrow? He said, well, I don't even know if they're in town, if they're on the road or in town. But I, I have a friend who's a season ticket holder. He has seats right over third base. And he said, I'll call him and see if they're in town. And I told him, you know, my passion about Mickey Mantle. And he was my childhood idol as a baseball player, you know. And so he came back in a little while and he said, I don't believe you. I said, what? He said, man, you do have favor. I said, I know I do. What? He said, not only are the Yankees playing in town, but my friend who has season tickets, a seat right over third base, wants you to be his guest. And it's old timers day and Mickey Mantle will be there. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I couldn't sleep that night. I, I wanted my glove again. I wanted my bat again. I wanted my cap, my number seven on the back, you know. I couldn't sleep all night. I'm going to Yankee Stadium, and Mickey's going to be there. I said right over third, but I could almost reach out and touch him, you know. 
I got to watch Mickey Mantle in Yankee Stadium. And I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. But it didn't end there. God is the God who does exceeding, abundant, above all you can ask or think. In the Amplified, it says, dare dream, dare imagine, dare ask or think. One month later, I'm flying to Detroit. I sat down on my, in, the, in the seat in the aisle there. And people are boarding. And I look up. And there comes Mickey Mantle, and he said, right opposite me. And Mickey and I got to talk the whole flight. We stayed in the same hotel and even ate in the same restaurant that night, one table over from each other and talked during the meal. He said, looks like you and I are going to spend the weekend together. I said, I'm telling you, it's the favor of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, that's God. Now, did that have anything to do with super spiritual? No. It was a secret petition of my heart. I dreamed as a little boy, jumping out of airplanes. Oh, I wanted to jump out of airplanes. I'd sneak in there and get my mama sheets. And I'd tie ropes on the four corners of a sheep, climb the highest tree in our backyard, jump out of that thing, acting like a paratrooper. The sheet would hang in a limb and I'd hit the ground, you know. Knock the breath out of me, bruise me up, you know, and knots on my head. And mama's looking for a sheet and it's up in the tree, you know. And oh, I just, oh, I wanted to do that. Well, that never happened, you know. And, and Carolyn, from the time we got married, she's heard me talk about it. When, when, I, when I went into the military, uh, I, was, I was in the National Guard uh, in the 60s and... Um, they called up our unit to go to Vietnam like they're calling up units to go to Iraq and Afghanistan now. And so they sent me to Fort Dix, New Jersey for basic training. And then I went to Fort Polk, Louisiana for AIT. And so I thought, well, I'm in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in active duty. I'm going to see if I can. I was in an infantry uh, and, and I would, company and I wanted to see if I could change over into uh, jump school. Because if I'm going to be in this, let's do what I really want to do. Well, they wouldn't let me go to jump school, so they kept me in a 4.2 mortar platoon. And so, you know, after that was all over with and everything, I still had this desire to jump out of airplanes. And finally, on my 50th birthday, which was 15 years ago, my wife surprised me. And she bought me a ground school class and jump on my birthday. I got on my Harley and I rode to Denton, Texas, to the airport where they had this school. Got over there and there's about 12 of us enrolled. And every one of them, except me, were between 18 to 25 years old. I was 50. I was an old man. Not only that, they were all going to do it tandem. Not me. I'm jumping by myself. They thought I was the coolest old man they'd ever met in their life. They were all going to have somebody strapped to them, not me. I'm going by myself. So I went through ground school all day. And then that afternoon, we got up in that airplane. And I'm sitting up there against the firewall, you know. And, and the pilot is here. And he said, Jerry, you ready? I said, man, I'm born ready. Just tell me when. He said, get out on the wing strut. We were 12,500 feet. 
I walked out on the wing, strutted that little plane, looked back at him, he gave me the signal. Now I got three jump masters that are going to jump behind me and we're all going to meet in a circle. And, and they've got, one of them's got a video cam on his helmets because I want evidence of this. You know? And I had my TV crew on the ground and they're, they're, they're watching it from the ground. And so he's, he told me to jump and I got in position and jumped and then they all met me and we did a free fall for 7,500 feet, pulled the ripcord and got that parachute right down to the target. When I landed, it was the most thrilling thing. I got my cell phone on, out, called my wife, and I said, the eagle has landed. I said, Carolyn, this is everything I dreamed it would be. I'm going back up again. And if I come every weekend, and uh, they'll make a jump master out of me when I get 30 jumps. She said, I am, uh, how'd she say? I am plucking the eagle's feathers. She said, you have done all the jumping out of airplanes you're going to do. You don't know what you put me through this morning praying for you. Get yourself back home and do it now. But I got to do it. It was a secret desire of my heart. Now that's not super spiritual, but it was something I've always wanted to do since I was a kid. You ought to see when I showed the video to Brother Copeland and Jesse. We were flying to London in Brother Copeland's airplane, and I didn't tell him what I'd done. And I, I brought back the, the video, and, and we're sitting in the back, and I said, boys, I want to show you something. And, and I made it look like it was one of our television broadcasts. And I came out there, and I said, hello, I'm Jerry Savelle. Welcome to Adventures in Faith. Today, I want to talk to you not so much about living by faith, but the leap of faith. <laughs> And they were watching, though, thought it was just one of my television broadcasts. All of a sudden, the next scene is me going through ground school. Then they see me get in, get, put my jumpsuit on, and go up, in the, and Jesse's eyes got this big. Jesse said, you going to do what I think you're going to do? You're going to do what I think you're going to do? I said, watch, Jesse, watch. When I jumped out of there, Jesse threw his arms around me and said, you're the bravest man I know. You're the bravest man I know. <laughs> he said, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. I said, give me a million, I'll do it again. Brother Copeland sat there looking at that. Then when it's done, he turned around and said, and I thought you were my friend. I said, I am your friend. He said, I've been wanting to do that all my life. You didn't ask me to go with you? I said, tell Carolyn, I'll go with you. (laughs) You But it was just a secret petition. Nothing spiritual about it. It was just God letting me know it's okay, son. I know I'm first place in your life. Have some fun. Amen. And then another secret petition. I wanted to fly in a phantom fighter jet. Do combat maneuvers. Without a war. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What was it? Two years ago? Three years ago now? Two years ago? In Australia. I got to fly in a... Royal, uh, New Zealand Royal Air Force fighter jet. And uh, we had a video in the cockpit and another jet flying alongside us with a video to take all this. Oh, man. I mean, I'm pulling four G's. My face is back like this, you know. 
I mean, we're going straight up and then we just drop out of the sky, fly upside down 500 feet over the ocean and then go into rolls. And, and oh, I'm telling you, it was awesome. And then they made me the video and they put the Top Gun theme to it. Praise God. I watch it about every other week. I can't wipe the smile on my face. The other day I was flying to London and I wanted to watch it again. I got it downloaded on my iPad. I'm watching it again. I started smiling before it even came on. And the guy next to me said, what are you smiling about? I said, watch this. I'm Top Gun, man. I am Top Gun. And I started singing, I went through the danger zone. (laughs) Now those are just, just desires. Now, I haven't even told you about one need yet that God's fulfilled. But if he would fulfill those secret petitions, don't you think he'd take care of needs as well? I say this, and I say it as humbly as I know how. And if you know me, John and Willie, you know me. (laughs) They've been with me for a long time on my board. I'm not saying this braggadocious or prideful or egotistically. Carolyn and I don't have needs. Personally, we don't have needs. God has taken care of us. Any need we might have, it does not have anything to do with us. It's about blessing other people. We don't have any debt. Our homes are paid for. Our vehicles are paid for. We don't have debt. And yet, the greatest financial outgo every month, the greatest household expense in our life is our giving. Blessing other people. Helping other people. Blessing the, the, the kingdom of God. Ministers that we're partners with. Amen. God has more than taken care of our needs. So we're into this realm of the Lord saying, what do you desire? What can I do for you? What would you like for me to do? Well, Lord, I want to take off on an aircraft carrier. I want to land on that thing. That's in the works right now. Hallelujah. I got, I got some people who know some people who know some people at the Pentagon. And we are working on me getting a ride off an aircraft carrier. Hallelujah. Mm-mm-mm. I'll give you that testimony next year. Praise God. Amen. Now, what am I saying? What are your highest expectations for this year. They can include needs, desires. What do you need in your life? Do you believe God's able to do that? Is it something that would make your life better, make your ministry better, better, make your business better? Is it something that would make your life complete? Then God's not against it. What are your highest expectations? Now, I've had, as I said, I mean, I've had so many things like this happen to me, I can't even count them all. Year of fulfillment. You mind if I give you a couple more examples? I'm going to anyway. Nod your head, yes. 
when Carol and I got married in 1966, I was racing a 1965 GTO. And uh, uh, when I got called up for active duty, uh, I had to sell my GTO to give Carolyn money to live on while I was gone because I didn't know how long I was going to be gone. As it turned out, I didn't have to go to Vietnam, but I didn't know how long I was going to be gone. So I had to sell my car to give her money to live on. And then when I finally came back um, and opened my, started my business, growing up, my dad was a Corvette specialist. General Motors trained my father in 1953 to become a Corvette specialist when they came out in 53. When I came home from school one day, uh, let's see, that would have made me seven years old. I come home from school one day, and there's this brand new 53 Corvette in my dad's garage behind our house. And they told him, take it apart and put it back together until you can do it in your sleep. It's made out of fiberglass, and not many body men knew how to work fiberglass back then. They even told him, wreck it and rebuild it. We want you to become an expert in working on Corvettes. So that's what he did. Well, first time I saw that thing, I mean, I became a Corvette guy. I fell in love with that car, and I said, I'm going to drive them. Well, right after Carol and I got married, and I come back from active duty and started my business, I bought a 1967 big block Roadster Corvette, 427, 425 horse. Beautiful sunflower yellow, I believe they called it. Oh, that was the hottest car I'd ever owned in my life. Oh, I love that thing. Had ever a cop in Shreveport, Louisiana chasing me. (laughs) And uh, I had to sell it. My business, you know, had some needs. And uh, in order to take care of those needs in the business, I had to sell it. And it's one of those where, and I wasn't serving the Lord back then. I did cry when that car left. Oh, man. I didn't want to sell that car. Oh, I didn't want that car to go. I was, I was going to have that for the rest of my life, you know, as far as I was concerned. But I had to sell it, take care of business needs. And so over the years, I've owned a lot of Corvettes. And, uh, but that's the one I always wanted. Well, now, that's one of the most desirable collector Corvettes out there. They are expensive. You know, I'm I'm talking about matching numbers, original, everything. They are, you watch the auctions, you watch a 67 big block Corvette come across the auction. (laughs) I mean, even with the economy down, they're still pricey. Okay. But it's just something that I've always wanted. If you were to ask my wife, and I, I would kid her about this every birthday, every Christmas, every anniversary. If she'd say, what do you want me to get you for anniversary? 67 Big Block Roadster. No, I mean, really, what do you want me to get you? <laughs> if, if you were to say, Carolyn, what, what would be, I mean, not, you know, anything to do with the ministry, what would be Jerry's number one desire? She would tell you without reservation, a 1967 Big Block Roadster. She's heard me say that all these years. Well... I have a piece of property in Mississippi where I was born, the farm where I was born. My granddad, 
passed it on to my dad. My dad passed it on to me. And it's been in the family since 1927. Well, I don't get back over there anymore. And my sister lived there for a while, but then she moved. And we don't ever get back over there. So I decided last year that I would sell it. And uh, nobody showed any interest in it. Well, people did, but they didn't want to give me what I wanted for it. And I didn't have to sell. I wasn't forced to sell. So I'm not going to just, you know, take the lowest dollar for it. I'll keep it before I just let it go for the sake of letting it go. And so nobody showed any real interest in it all year long after I put it up for sale. Nothing. But then when I went over there in October of 2011, when the Lord gave me this prophetic word that it will be a year of fulfillment. I went over there to pay the taxes on it and to just walk around it. And I was, I was walking around the property and I said, I call you soul. There's somebody here in this city that wants you and they'll pay me what I'm asking for it. And before I left town, some people called and said, uh, your neighbors down the road saw you out there and we're wondering, wondering if you're interested in selling your property. I said, yes, I am. That's the reason I'm over here now. They said, well, can we come out and talk to you? Well, they came out and uh, we talked. I told them what I wanted for it. They said, that's fair enough. We want it. I said, great. Well, let's go and draw up a contract. The man said, can I ask you something? I said, sure. He said, um, would you consider a trade for this property? I said, well, it depends on what it is. He said... I have a numbers match, original, 1967, 427, 425 horse Corvette. I hear you know something about classic cars. I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, uh, then you know what it's worth. I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, would you consider a trade for this property? I said, well, let's go look at your 67 big block Corvette. <laughs> So we went out to his shop, and I, he was mirror image of me. His shop looked like my shop. You can eat off my shop. I mean, this guy, he's like my twin. And there was that 67 big block in there, and my heart's doing this, man. Checked the numbers out, everything matched. I said, God, you are something else. I called my wife. I said, Carolyn... I didn't even told her yet. And she said, what's God done for you now? <laughs> and I told her about that. And she said, Jerry Savelle, I can't believe you. God does stuff like this for you all the time. So I am picking up in the year of fulfillment in the end of June, my 1967 big block Corvette. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now, is that super spiritual? No. But it was a secret petition of my heart. Now, some places I wouldn't share testimonies like this because people are so immature, they get the wrong idea. But I know you pastors, you, you guys got a word level. Hallelujah. Amen. What I'm endeavoring to do tonight is to ignite your faith. Now, let me show you this scripture before we lay hands on people. I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
the year of fulfillment. Hallelujah. All these years. All these years. I had to sell that car in 1968. All these years later, it happens in the year of fulfillment. I don't think that's a coincidence. That's God. Amen. First Timothy chapter 6, and let's look at verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Now notice what he says about the living God. Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Is that what it says? Don't trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Who? In other words, this is, this is the nature of that living God. He gives His people all things to enjoy. That doesn't say a thing about your needs. It's talking about what brings enjoyment to you. Amen. Amen. That's the God we serve. He's interested in what brings enjoyment to you as long as it's not ungodly, as long as it's not unholy, as long as it, it's still, uh, he still gets the credit for doing it and it doesn't come between you and him. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? Now, listen to the Amplified Bible. It says, who richly and ceaselessly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Hallelujah. Why would God be interested in fulfilling your highest expectations? Because if it brings enjoyment to you, it pleases Him. Hallelujah. Amen. It pleases Him. I think God smiled on me today seeing the enjoyment I had Riding through San Francisco. Amen. I get to ride all over the world. Thank you, Lord. In March, I was riding through Sydney, Australia. Yes. I'm riding through Sydney. Run over the famous bridge. Opera house is over there. And I'm looking at all of it. And I thought, it's 14 hours earlier in Fort Worth. My wife is in bed sound asleep and her husband is riding through Sydney, Australia. (laughs) While my wife is sleeping, I ride through Cape Town, South Africa. I've ridden in Russia. Dear God, you ought to have seen what they put me on. It is obvious. That the Soviet Union spent all their money on military buildup and not motorcycles. <laughs> that piece of junk, I'm telling you, I look like a raccoon when I got back. I mean, it, it grease all over me, man. You know? <laughs> but I was riding, hallelujah. Enjoyment. I, I think a lot of Christians don't have this kind of relationship with God. They're so stiff and think God's so stiff and so rigid. Don't you ask me for anything that'll bring joy to you. If it brings joy to you, I'm against it. Is the way a lot of people think God is. 
All, a lot of people ever heard about God is He going to get you. going to get you. Don't you dare act like you're having fun. He'll get you. <laughs> That's not the God I serve. Amen. What are your highest expectations? What do you believe in God for? Yes, include spiritual things. But he's not against you having the things you desire. And I clarify it again. As long as they're not ungodly. As long as they're not unholy. As long as they're not sinful. As long as they never come between you and him. Amen. Then he's not against that. Now, let me close it with this. Then we're going to lay hands on people. I told you last night that he told me to tell you to write them down. Write down your three highest expectations. You don't have to end it with three, but write down your three highest expectations. Why is it so important that we write? Because Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2 says, Write the vision, make it plain, that he may run that readeth it. The word run here means uh, that when you read it, it will keep you inspired. It will keep you focused. And it will cause you to stay motivated. The Amplified Bible says, write what you see. Write what you see. What do you see on the inside of you? What, what is it that when you pray and you desire for God to do, to meet a need or fulfill a desire, what do you see on the inside of you? Do you see yourself? Do you see God fulfilling that desire of that dream house, that better job, that increase in income? Your family coming to Christ. Whatever it is. Can you see it on the inside? If you can see it on the inside, then the Bible says, write what you see. Keep it in front of you. Why? So every time you read it, it will inspire you. It will cause you to stay focused. And it will motivate you. Amen. And then the message translation goes on to say that when you write what you see, when you write your vision, your dream, your expectations, your goals... It says, this is a witness pointing to what's coming. Hallelujah. I've written my three highest expectations down for Jerry Savelle Ministries International, for Heritage Faith Christian Center, which is our church and ministerial organization, and for myself personally. And it says that this is a witness pointing to what's coming. Every time I look at what I've written... I think this is a witness to what is coming. And then it goes on to say in the message translation, if it seems slow in coming, wait for it because it's on its way. Hallelujah. Everybody say it's on its way. Say my highest expectations are on their way. Amen. So let's dare to believe God tonight. There is an anointing. That God has placed on me to coincide with this word from the Lord. He said, lay hands on people Mm -hmm. and agree with them for their highest expectations to be fulfilled. I've done this all over the world since January. And we have received some of the most astounding testimonies that I have ever heard of God doing miraculous, impossible looking things, fulfilling What people have been believing God for for years and years and years.